You know, the culture is actually damn good. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, where y'all at? This is Trafalgar Square. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. Have you been drinking? It was a good show, huh? During the workday, when you feel possessed by amorous intent, may I suggest that you suppress it? Hey! 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 Hey, how you doing? Let's get in the conference room. I would like to invite everyone into the conference room. I would like to have a meeting in the conference room right now. I know for a fact that nobody in the Parks Department reads letters. Does everybody have to be crazy today? Now get me Sabian! Third and goal from the five. McKissick standing to Smith's right. He is in the gun. Two wide receivers left. Smith has it. He's looking left the whole way, going for the corner of the end zone. Terry McLaurin. Touchdown. Touchdown, Washington. Five-yard pass. Alex Smith to Terry McLaurin. Smith takes the snaps. Eagles only bring four this time. Smith to the center of the end zone. And what a catch by Logan Thomas. Touchdown. Touchdown, Washington. SportsJourney.com radio network is on the air. It's the Bob Matthews podcast. And how is this to start 2021? Your Washington football team is NFC East champions. That means it is Washington and Tampa Bay. Eight o'clock kickoff Saturday night at FedEx Field. Tom Brady and company coming to the district. All right, we're going to get into the whole thing with the postgame from Philadelphia last night and Ron Rivera today. And Les Carpenter of the Washington Post will be joining us shortly. So a 20-13 to 13 win. Boy, lots of stuff to go over. I I want to start, I obviously, since it is a uh, DMV-centric podcast, we usually start with the hometown folks. But I want to start with Doug Peterson and why I had... No problem with what he did. Now, granted, if I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan or a New York Giants fan, I probably would. And I was watching the postgame show last night, and I know that our good friend uh, J.P. Finley, NBC Sports Washington, was saying that he was, you know, getting texts from some of his friends around the league. You know, it was a garbage move and all that. And I understand that sentiment, but really, I was I was watching the game with the family. And when Peterson went for it on, on fourth down with Jalen Hurts in the ball game there on the goal line, I, I was fine with it. I said, yeah, why not go for it? Why, why kick the field goal and tie it at 17? You're not playing for anything. This game means nothing to you. Go ahead, kick it, or uh, go ahead and go for it. Try to score the touchdown and put some pressure on him. As far as bringing in Nate Sudfeld, yeah, that was a little sketch. I mean, again... You look at it, and while Jalen Hurts was not lighting it up statistically, he was extraordinarily effective when he was in the ball game. And yeah, the Eagles had a chance to win it. You're bringing a third-string quarterback. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry. And again, at that point, I said to myself, you know, the Eagles are doing everything they can to hand this game to Washington. So I hope for the sake of that locker room in Philly that Doug Peterson made it absolutely clear to the locker room that Nate Sudfeld was coming in the game at some point in time to get some significant reps. Now, I really don't understand why you want to get Nate Sudfeld a bunch of significant reps in a game. I mean, it just, it, it makes no sense. He's a third string quarterback and he has been in the league now for 
how long, what, five, six years, you know who Nate Sudfeld is. So if you're trying to game out something that's going to happen in the offseason, like letting Carson Wentz go, and you want to know that you've got somebody that can be somewhat competent as a backup, I think you pretty much know whether Nate Sudfeld is that guy or not by now. So, yeah, that part of it was a little bit sketch. But, and believe me, Peterson faced a you-know-what storm in his post-game press conference. He said, however, stuck to his gun, said he, no, he was not tanking. He was trying to win the game. Yes, I was coaching to win. Uh, yes, that was my decision solely. Um, Nate has uh, obviously been here for uh, four years. Um and uh, I felt that uh, he, he, he deserved an opportunity to, uh, to, get, some, to get some snaps. And um, um, listen, uh, if, if there's anything out there that, that thinks that I was not trying to win the game, I mean, you know, Ertz is out there, Brandon Graham's out there, Darius Slay's out there. You know, all our top guys are still on the field at the end. So uh, we were, we were going to win the game. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not buying that one. Again, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on the fourth and goal play. That makes sense. And, and the other fourth downs that he went for. I get that. That that makes perfect sense. But putting Nate Sudfeld in when you're down, what, less than a touchdown in the fourth quarter? Mm, I'm not buying it. That being said, not apologizing for it at all. And neither should any of the fandom Neither should the players, the coaches, or anybody else here in Washington because this one has been a long time coming, and you just don't know when opportunities like this come around again. Hopefully, it becomes a consistent thing. And I think, you know, you look back on it now, and the fact that they were able to pull this off means that Ron Rivera made the right choice way back when he benched Dwayne Haskins after week four. We're going to get into that mindset in a little while. But you know what? He did. He he made, as it turns out, he made the right decision. And maybe we, it was a gamble, but it's a gamble that paid off. And as we've talked about so many times, so much of success, especially in major sports, depends on luck. If this hadn't worked, who knows what path this team would be going down now. But I think the path that they are on is one where that culture change is now accelerated. It's Players will always say the right things to reporters, but when you look at it, subconsciously, they gotta, they're going to buy in even more with Ron Rivera and what Ron Rivera wants to do because of the results that were produced. Well, this team's going to the playoffs in Rivera's first year. And as we will talk about later in the week, I think they've got at least a puncher's chance against Tampa Bay. Now, it's going to take a pretty supreme effort to beat Tom Brady in the postseason because that's just something that doesn't happen. But, and we've I've, I've started to look at some tape on Brady. Teams that give him trouble, defenses that give him trouble, are defenses that are very, very similar to what we have in Washington. So, this is not going to be an easy out. Washington is not going to be an easy out for the Bucks this weekend, even though I fully expect the Bucks to probably be 
about a touchdown favorite, and they have earned that as well. Ron Rivera and his usual Monday meeting with all of us on the beat. And one of the first questions we asked Rivera was about whether he thought the Eagles were actively trying to win this game. And Ron says, hey, looked like they were going 100% to him. And whether they were or not, bottom line for him is sorry, not sorry. Well, I mean, honestly, truthfully, it, 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 it honestly doesn't matter. You play who's out there. I'm not going to apologize for winning. Apparently, that's what everybody wants me to do is apologize for winning. I'm not going to because you play the game as it's set up, okay? Nobody complained when Pittsburgh did what they did last night against Cleveland. I mean, come on. This, this is just the way it is, okay? We got in the playoffs. We're 7-9, and nine, okay? I've been 7-8-1 in the playoffs. I was on an 8-8 eight eight team that was in the playoffs. And you don't apologize for getting into the playoffs, okay? You apologize for losing in the playoffs, at least I believe you do, but you don't apologize for getting in because it's it's been a hard role for us, and, and and nobody seems to care about that. Nobody cared two weeks ago when we didn't have our best some of our best players. Nobody cared last week when we didn't have them. So why should we be concerned if a coach decides to do something he thinks is best for his team, okay? That's the thing I think people need to understand this is just the way the games play this is just the way things happen a lot of people are happy about it a lot of people aren't happy about it and that's just tough that's just the way it is okay I mean so many things have happened in this world that are tough that are hard okay this is just the game that we're playing and we're going to play the game as it comes to us and I'm not going to apologize I'm, I'm not that's just the way it is and I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. I don't care if the Eagles had come out and forfeited last night. <laughs> they didn't even have to play it. It's important for this group of players to be in the postseason because it's it's one thing, and we have seen this so many times over the last 20 years. Every new regime that comes in has big plans. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we sit there and we talk to players and coaches about how excited they are to do this and how excited they are to do that and – we're laying the foundation. Foundation always seems to be being laid. And the better times are just around the corner, you know. And But they ne- we never seem to get to just around the corner. Marty Schottenheimer never got around the corner. Not his fault because he was fired after one year. And we've talked about that ad nauseum. Joe Gibbs 2.0 never really got around the corner. I think Steve Spurrier left before they get around the corner. Shanahan, uh, Gruden, all of them. And it's important for this group of players, especially the core, guys like Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, who are going to have decisions to make in a couple of years, whether they want to invest the prime of their career in this organization. And I think that going out and seizing the opportunity and seeing that when it's all out there on the table, that it actually gets done, that's the big part of the culture change that's happened this year and I really do think it's going to accelerate the process and we'll we'll talk about schedules and all next year and and you you know you don't know yeah it'll be a first place scheduled next year but you don't know what those you know you never know what those teams are going to look like from year to year you just don't most of them And, and it won't probably be it will either not be nearly as bad 
as we think it's going to be, or some teams that are really bad might be really good next year. But the important thing is that the guys in those lock in that locker room in, the, in that locker room know that they can win as a group because they did it, and it doesn't matter if they were seven and nine or eleven and five. And by the way, I think that this is a, a hell of a lot better than a seven and nine team. Again. We'll explain that one a little bit later in the week, too, as to why. Uh, Chase Young, we asked Ron about uh, the viral video that's uh, that's going out now, that's been making the rounds since last night about, uh, about Chase wanting Brady. But it's interesting Ron's reactions to it. I want you to listen to it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, I guess, you know, all things considered, you would rather not give Tampa bulletin board material. But at the same time, Ron says, you know what? That youthful exuberance, he's okay with it. Well, it's going to be bulletin board material. Let's be honest about that. Um, I, I know they'll have fun They'll have fun with it. Um, and you've got to chalk it up to youthful exuberance. Um, but that's who Chase is. And, and I do cringe. But at the same time, I smile at it because he loves playing the game. And, and, and I think that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, as I talked about earlier about Alex, Alex loves playing the game. I, I want guys that love playing professional football on this team, not guys that love being professional football players. You know the difference? I mean, can you feel the difference? It's, it's about wanting to play the game, loving to play the game, not just showing up in a uniform looking good. I mean, that's what I want. And, 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 and that's who Alex is. Um, that's who Chase is. And, and, and that's the kind of guy we want on our football team. Isn't that an interesting answer? And I can't imagine who he might have been, if not consciously referring to, subconsciously referring to there, you know? And he makes a good point in that you watch Chase Young dance off the field like that, and it, it was, I you know, you heard him say that, and yet at the same time, there was something very disarming about it. I mean, it was, it wasn't, you remember um, the Eagles wide receiver, was it Freddie Mitchell, you know, had, or even guys like, like Ocho Cinco or T.O. when, when they would do things like that, that kind of rubbed you the wrong, wrong way. I, for some reason, there's almost an innocence about it, the way Chase Young does it. And maybe that's because he's a rookie and, and in a few years, uh, people outside of, of, the district are going to get sick of it. But I, I think because of his youth and because of, as Rivera said, his genuine love of the game, there's something about it that, that just, it doesn't come off as being braggadocious. Speaking of Tom Brady, uh, Rivera also had a little bit of fun with that. When we asked him, is it in addition to it being the playoffs, does it mean a little something extra because of the fact that it is Tom Brady and his six Super Bowl rings coming in here for a playoff game. I'll say that with a straight face. It's another opponent. <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's Tom Brady. I mean, let's be realistic about who we're playing. I mean, you know, the the dude's having a phenomenal year again. Um, he's been hot. Um, you know, uh, maybe we'll get lucky and catch him on a down. Um, you know, but uh, right now he's playing really good football, and you know, we'll see. That's you know, I promise you, we'll show up on Sunday though, or Saturday, I should say. We'll show up on Saturday night. Does 
a game like this where he's such a you know famous pocket passer, does, is this why a team invests so much in their defensive line, including Chase Young and Montez and even guys before you got here? Is that why you create a unit so you can maybe swing a game like this? Well, not necessarily just this game, but games like these. I think there's there's more than enough of games like these. You know, that's why you 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 have the the front you have. I mean, to me, in all honesty, going back to to, to my experiences in 2015, um, and then a couple of years ago, doing a, a a little research on on pressure and the importance of interior pressure combined with edge pressure, how much it impacts. You know, um, that's why you do it. I mean, when I was in Carolina, you know, we had one of the best pocket passers that we competed against twice a year and, and, and Drew Brees, and we had to have a, 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 a rush. And, you know, we went out and, 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 and drafted Stardust Lely and, and, and Kwan Short and coupled them with some outside edge speed that we had in, 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 um, in uh, Mario Addison and, and Charles Johnson, and, and we were able to get to the quarterback. Uh, getting here and, and, and having gotten a chance to see what San Francisco had done the last couple of years. Um, and then looking at this roster, as I've told you guys before, um, and just seeing the youth and the potential for that youth and, 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 you know, and, and, and knowing that we, we developed the youth properly, we'll, we'd have something pretty good. And I think we're starting to get that. I mean, we're still developing, they're still learning, they're still growing, but their potential most certainly is, is on display. The uh, second part of that, I, I strung a couple of uh, different answers together, but the second part of that was a question about, you know, is is this defense, is this a bad matchup for Tampa Bay? And I really think it is. Again, we'll go into it more during the week, but the long and short of it is, if you can get in Tom Brady's face, you can force him into some bad throws. I mean, he is he's great at getting the ball out quickly. He is, you know, accurate. He's won six Super Bowls, all of that. He's also been the beneficiary of some very, very good offensive lines. When he has not been successful is when people have been able to get to him. And I think this defensive front has shown it can get to him without, uh, without having to bring extra guys. As far as the injuries go, Alex Smith, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson came out of the game relatively healthy. I would imagine all three are extraordinarily sore and hurting today. Um, and we asked Ron about that. Uh, anybody, if you watch the game, you saw that Alex Smith was less and less effective as the game went on. And he admitted after the game that part of that was because of you know, because of his leg. As a matter of fact, as long as we're talking about that, let's uh, let's talk to Alex. Let's hear from Alex from last night about uh, how the leg felt as the game wore on. Yeah, it just just built over the course of the game and just the kind of the wear and tear. Um, you know, being on your feet, obviously, the the, the process of the game. Um, no, no one thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week with the stakes. I guess. As they were in Philadelphia, you would think that, yeah, I understand. And, and Ron Rivera said last night that he had thought for a while, he had thought briefly about taking Alex out of the game in the second half. I am wondering if there's going to be, if he will be a little bit um, more willing if Smith continue. you know, if you have another game where it gets Tampa, maybe Alex starts off effectively in the first half and just because the leg 
you know, starts, you know, his performance uh, gets progressively worse. I wonder if he will be more inclined to go to Taylor Heineke, who knows this offense and, you know, obviously has some rapport with these skill position players. It'll be interesting to see. We asked Ron about that today, and he says, yes, in fact, they do have a plan vis-a-vis the injured guys. And just for a little bit of context, the first thing he's going to talk about is Terry McLaurin and how they saw by, he actually personally saw by, by Thursday that Terry, high ankle sprain or not, looked healthy enough to go. Um, well, what happened was on Thursday, I believe it was Thursday, he had, he had told us that he felt it turning. And then, uh, and we practiced outside. And so while we were practicing, I noticed him on the other side of the field, um, uh, one of the other practice fields running sprints. And I saw him run a hundred yard dash for whatever reason. And I knew he was playing. Um, and, and, and that's all it took. But uh, I'm pretty confident that, uh, you know, that uh, he'll be, he'll be uh, a little further along than he was last week. Um, you know, we, we should have a couple of good days of practice. So I do anticipate him see, seeing him out there in a limited role, um, taking specific reps uh, uh, more so than anything else. But we'll, we'll have a plan for Terry, uh, as we'll have a plan for, uh, for Alex, as we'll have a plan for uh, Antonio Gibson as well. And I got to say, had Washington not won that game, I think one of the reasons we'd be talking about is the fact that they were just those skill position players were just too beaten up. You know, your three, arguably your three best players on offense were just too beaten up to be able to pull it out. But they won, ergo, we're not going to talk about that. Although it's something that, again, coaching staff has got to think about. It doesn't look like Antonio Gibson looks fine straight ahead but it didn't look like he could make those cuts. Will another week help? You don't know. Turf toe is a kind of thing that lingers. Um, again, McLaurin, and I, that'll be interesting to watch on the tape. Was Terry winning a lot of his battles, or was he just playing through through pain? And you know, and how many Novocaine shots did he get? That's another thing we'd love to know. As long as he can't make it any worse, that's absolutely fine. But again, uh, the health of those three players is going to be key this weekend. Les Carpenter of the Washington Post joins us. You can read his perspective column after every Washington football game. That puts Les an elite company in the pantheon of journalistic gods in the Washington sports market with names like Povich and Wilbon and Kornheiser and Wise. And yes, now Carpenter as well. How are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. Well, after that introduction, I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, you, you, you know how I feel. You guys are gods up there actual gods and the fact that you talk to us is well it's 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 humbling i have to say it is it is genuinely humbling oh well i've I, left him I, speechless I, ladies and gentlemen yeah I, I, yeah no one's ever called me that before but i appreciate it <laughs> hey, hey anytime hey let, let's get into it um from your perspective last night because you know we were watching on tv you were there at the game i was saying a few minutes ago that had Washington lost this game, I think one of the storylines that would have come out with it is just that they were just too darn beat up on offense, that that Alex was was just too banged up and Antonio Gibson and, and Terry McLaurin. Did it look like that in person as well with those three? Yeah, yeah. And I would say even go further if they had lost this game. I, you know, it's not just banged up on offense, just not deep enough, just not good enough on offense. Uh 
you know, and that was the worry going in from the very beginning. They, they did, you know, they, they did make the splurge, you know, on the first day of free agency or try to make the splurge on Amari Cooper and, you know, on a, on a couple tight ends, or at least, you know, kind of made a run at a couple of the big name tight ends. But, you know, the re- reality was, was that it just, you know, there were a lot of guys that they were just, let's see how they turn out. Uh, let's see how Logan Thomas turns out. Let's see how some of these offensive linemen turn out. Let's see how uh, we can find another receiver to go with Terry McLaurin. I mean, all these different things, while at the same time not really answering the quarterback question, I think led to a lot of, you know, yeah, some guys have emerged. Yeah, they, I think they've played better than I expected this year offensively uh, in a weird way, getting to where we are. But overall, it's just not enough weapons to go win a game offensively. And so if they had lost that game, I think, yeah, we would have looked at it. Not only were they banged up, but just they were, they weren't good enough to withstand whatever they were going to face this year. Alex Smith talked about it last night. You know, he talked about the fact that his leg hurt him as, as the game went on. Ron Rivera said today, you know, not much that the game plan is the game plan, but do you get the sense that there might be a, a little bit um, he might be a little bit more um, ready to go to, to Taylor Heineke this week if, if we see a similar script where Alex can't get out of the way of the rush and, and he seems to slow down even more as the game goes on. Yeah, you kind of have to wonder about that. You kind of have to wonder how seriously they thought about it last night. I mean, I, the thing with Alex Smith is you never say no to Alex Smith. Right. I mean, you know, I, we, we, we've ruled him, we've ruled him done. We've ruled him finished. We've ruled him out. We've ruled he never play again so many times and then have this just come back and, and, and continually go on. Uh, he's five and one as your starting quarterback, no matter what he looked like yesterday, no matter how, you know, immobile he was, he still won them a game and he won them a game basically with one drive in a, you know, right before halftime. I mean, they, they got those points early and then it was a struggle the rest of the night. And it was really that scene. Oh, wow. We got the ball on the 45, let to, you know, a minute and a half left here. Let's see if we can make a run at a, at a touchdown right before half. And that, that was the difference in the game really. Yeah. And, you know, that's what he does for you. And that's what he's done through this, uh, through the, the five games that they, that they won with him. Uh, so I think it's hard to turn your back on him, no matter how kind of beaten up or immobile he looks, somehow he finds a way to get something done. Uh, you know, this is a different team they're going to play on, on, on Saturday. It's, it's a team that really is starting to, to click. Uh, that's a, an aggressive defensive front, you, you know, they're, you know, Philadelphia was beaten up. I mean, these guys are going to be able to come at you and it's not that good a line going back to some of the, the issues that we've talked about. Uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I, I you know, it's a tough, this is a tough one. Uh, and they may, you may have no choice, but to go to another quarterback. If for no other reason, they may be, wait, they, they may be down by two or three touchdowns. Right. Um, Speaking of uh, speaking of the, the quarterback position, I'll, I'll get to what this defense may be able to do against Tom Brady in a few minutes. But from when you look at this, as I love to say, from thirty five thousand feet, how do you think this win changes the trajectory of this franchise? Because it seems like for so long in Washington, the mantra's been, "Hey, we're laying the foundation. We're laying the foundation." Every every coach that's come in in the last twenty years has been laying the foundation. We're actually, we actually, last night, it seemed, started to build on that foundation, didn't it? 
Well, I'm sure Jay Gruden's sitting there looking at, oh my gosh, how many seven and nines did I have? At exactly. And, you know, and, uh, but you know, it's, it's what you do with the rules that you have and the situation that you have at the time. I mean, that's what this league is about is it's not, you know, how many teams like Kansas City Chiefs, mostly you're, you're trying to maneuver your way through kind of a big old mess and hope that somehow you come out with enough wins to keep going. Uh, and that, you know, that, that's a step. I mean, we'll see. I, you know, next year's schedule is going to be hard. I don't know if they'll necessarily have the players. Uh, it, it may be two years that you'll really see the benefit of that. That's what it was for Seattle with Pete Carroll when they finished seven and nine his first year. You know, it was a couple of years later when they were able to draft Russell Wilson that then it turned around. You know, the, the base was there with some of the players that they picked and added that year. Uh, but the growing took a couple more years. I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing doesn't happen here that the growing may take a couple of years before they're really ready to, to get over the top. The one caveat to that I'd say is it's such a good aggressive defensive front and a pretty darn good defense completely that you may be able to jump that and start that a little bit and, and have a little more winning, but it definitely sets a base. I think to have that success, to walk out with a championship, no matter the record, it says something about success. If this was a seven and nine without a title, I don't think it nearly has the buzz that it does, uh, you know, by, by going and playing in the playoffs and seeing what that's all about. I, I definitely think, especially for a young team, right. I think you definitely think that this is something that you can build on. Rivera said this morning he, he cringed a little bit when he heard Chase Young going off the field saying that he's, he's coming for Tom Brady. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, you know, the youthful exuberance is, is, is something that he likes as well. And I found that interesting because, you know, when, when I saw, when I saw the video, it Chase is almost disarming when he says it in a sense, in that it's not like, you know, Freddie Mitchell, when he was with the Eagles or, or T.O. or something like that. It, it seems like it's, it's coming from a place of joy, you know, as opposed to something menacing that obviously it'll get the Buccaneers fired up, but still not the way it would if it was another player, you know? Yeah. I'd say two things to that one. Yeah. It's playful. Uh, you're right. Uh, it, it won't probably have the same. I'll probably get a lot of eye rolls and things. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, I can understand why Rivera would have that reaction because it's sort of youthful exuberance. Uh, you're, they're just happy to be here. They, right. they didn't expect this. They didn't know this was coming. Uh, they kind of fought, you know, through a whole lot to get here. Yeah. They're just, they're just kind of high on it all. Uh, you, you know, look a couple of years, you know, two years down the road or whatever, it may have a different meaning. It may look different. I think right now everyone just kind of says, oh, well, that's just some rookie kid yelling around an obviously good one, but still a rookie does yelling around, you know, doing his rookie thing, uh, you know, at, uh, later on with, when he has a little more experience in the league, I think it might be looked upon a little differently. We haven't even touched on how just weird last night was. I th at one point, I said to myself, you know, the Eagles are really trying to hand this thing to Washington and Washington doesn't want to seem to take it at some point between, <laughs> you know, between the Stephen Smith fumble, the Alex Smith fumble and, and everything else. I mean, has this just been one of the weirdest seasons you've had to cover for any franchise? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not even close. I mean, anything. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's the weirdest thing I've ever covered. Uh, and all of it, not just because of COVID and because of the 
you know, the empty stadiums and all of that, which makes it weird. And, you know, it was kind of a final, you know, weird ending of this weird season was this empty stadium at night in Philadelphia. That's always so loud. Uh, but it just the weirdness of everything else that went on uh, from this new coaching staff to, you know, all the off seasons. I mean, uh, the, the front office stuff, the Dan Snyder stuff, the, the name change. I mean, it's just some points you can't even put a, you know, you know, we write these little, we call them nut graphs, these little paragraphs that sum everything up or a couple sentences that sum everything up near the top of a story. And I mean, how do you even write a quote unquote nut graph off of this team? I mean, there's so many things you put in there. You got you know, team change its name. The owner is besieged, you know, I mean, they're being investigated. They've, they've hired all these new people in the front office that are changed, you know, kind of the face of the place. I mean, the coach has cancer, the quarterback that was going to lose his leg is out there, you know, playing. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So yes, all of it is weird. Uh, and I think it, it's fitting. It's kind of what I wrote is you get know, like this season deserved that game. Uh, this team sort of, you know, crawl to the end in the mud kind of, kind of, you know, summed everything up. That's what this year was that they're right there. I'm actually probably saying it better right now than I said it in, in the, when I was typing it, but I mean, it's, that's what it was. This big empty stadium and, uh, and, you know, with a fog rolling in and the, and the mud on the field and this team just kind of crawling along, you know, falling on the finish line when the other team's kind of letting them do it. it. It's just that that's what this season deserved. I mean, that's what it, that's what it was. Yeah, it beats the hell out of the way last season ended. Of course, it beats hell out of the way a lot of these seasons have ended. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those were all aggregate positives. But you know, it's <laughs> I guess you got to crawl before you can run, right? And in this case, as you just eloquently said, crawled through the mud most of the year. Through the mud, as well. yeah, in an empty stadium. I mean, yeah. And you know, thank God it was empty because between the Eagles fans that would have been there and the Giants fans that would have crashed, it the link might have burned down if Doug Peterson had made those moves with a crowd in there. Well, and again, I think everything would have been different if if there were fans in the stand. I just think the season would have gone differently. I think mm. everything would have played out differently if this was a quote unquote normal year. I I often wonder, you know, would this have been uh, an NFC East one at seven? And I'm not saying it was a very good NFC East, but somehow I, I kind of wonder in a normal year with just the pressures that come with it, with the excitement of playing in a full stadium, with everything else. I, I kind of think someone would have won nine games somewhere. Uh, it just, it just was different. Everything was different. Yeah, I I agree. And we're going to have a very different feeling, uh, this Saturday at FedEx because there's going to be a game played there for the first time. in God knows how long, I think it's at least 10 years, maybe 15. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. The, uh, uh, the Green Bay playoff game in, uh, that's right. In in 2015, 2015. You're absolutely right. I forgot. Yeah. But that that was a wired one-off too. And so, yeah, yeah. Les Carpenter of the Washington Post. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, Hopefully we'll be, uh, who knows, maybe we will be talking about a wild card upset and this team off to the divisional round this time next week. I don't think that's going to happen, but hey, with this defense, you never know. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's that kind of year. I don't, I don't roll anything out anymore. I don't think you can surprise me. There's, <laughs> Very, there's nothing left. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything left you can show me. I, I absolutely right. Thank you, sir. No problem.
All right, Mick and the clock on the wall say we got to get up out of here. So be sure to join us tomorrow. Uh, we'll take you out to uh, Capitals training camp day two for them as they get ready for the season opener January 14th in Buffalo against the Sabres. Have you a good one. Thanks again to Les Carpenter. Remember, like the wise man once said, if you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. Oh,